community from a lot of different reasons, particularly those who are losing loved ones. Um, and, you know, this week, uh, many of you know in our community, not a member of our church, but a fellow believer in Christ, Spencer Lynch, went to be with the Lord. Young, 31 years old, um, and died from complications of COVID-19. He leaves behind his wife, Brianna, and their three young children. And I specifically want to pray for the family and also pray for Church of the Cross and Matt Blair as they minister to the family. I was able to text back and forth with Matt this morning, and it's been a, as many of us have experienced, it's a hard week. It's hard. Hard to stand in front of the people of God when their hearts are ripped out. And, but there's hope. Because <laughs> you open the Word of God and you find the truth. And you find the Savior. And the Redeemer. And the one who will wipe away our tears. So we want to pray for the Lynches. And we want to pray for Church of the Cross as a ministry. And Matt Blair as their pastor. As they minister in this time. I also want to pray for, right now, um, the Gross family, and many of you know uh, they've been with us a long time, and, and uh, uh, Jada's mom, Miss Betty, is uh, not doing well. She's in the hospital. Um, she has a lot of complications going on, and so, um, you know, she's been on a ventilator, and they were hoping to take her off this morning, and then not able to do that. She's not quite strong enough, and so we want to ask God to intervene, give her her lung strength, and let her come off this ventilator and return home soon. So using, using these two, because they are acute, but there are many, there are many in our community suffering. So for lots of reasons, but let's pray together. Holy Father in heaven, we bow before you as the source of all life and all good. All of us have life and breath and movement because you grant it and you sustain it and you extend it. And then... You, at your time, for your reasons and purposes, you draw it back. Um, Lord, it's in those moments that our weakness is seen. And Lord, while we're healthy and happy and moving about, we forget about you often. And then in the moments of sickness and weakness and death, we find ourselves in struggling to believe that you're good. Forgive us, Lord, because we are weak. And forgive us because in those moments, those, those moments that are so piercing, so hurtful, so emotionally overwhelming, forgive us because in our weakness we often um, we struggle to believe that you are good. And that you, you, above all, are working out everything, every, everything, to the good of those who are called according to your purpose, and to the glorious praise of your name. And so, our community struggles. Our community among the communities of the nation and of the earth struggle with these things. We're struggling with death. We're struggling with understanding, wrapping our mind around the volume of people that are suffering and dying, and many of them. And Lord, we 
we want to believe. We need your help to believe in these moments. And we struggle toward you, and we're so glad that you are the rock under our feet, that as the world is sinking in desperation and loss of hope, and we are standing on you because you have fixed us to yourself, and you have grafted us in, and we cannot be moved in the end. Lord, we pray now for the Lynch family, and though they... Many of us didn't know them. We know the story, and we are so grieved. We're grieved for Brianna and her children. We're grieved for those who were their their friends and are their friends in this moment. Father, we ask that you would work powerfully. We pray you would strengthen Brianna's faith and that she would find her soul hope and comfort in you alone. And we pray for Church of the Cross as a community of believers as they wrap their arms around her and her family and love her. And God, for the elders there and for Matt, the pastor, that God, as they grope for words to say, that you would give them ears to hear the pain and that they would speak words of comfort from you and that they would just most of all be near to those who weep and weep with them. Because... There's true joy coming. There's joy coming because you are ultimately our joy. And you are seated with the Father and we are seated with you. And so even in our weeping and our tears, we're joyful. We have not lost hope. We grieve like those who have hope. And so, Lord, we ask that as you put on display your power in the Lynch family and in Church of the Cross family and in Matt Blair as he preaches and brings your word, Lord, that there would be many who would turn to you and see that you are the only hope of this world. Father, we pray for the Gross family. We pray for Betty as she's struggling now with uh, this weak condition of her lungs and And God, her age and all the things that play into this that we understand and some that we don't understand. And Lord, we just turn to you and we ask that you would strengthen her. Help her to breathe on her own. God, that she'd be able to be restored to health. But Lord, we ask also for strength for John and Jada and the kids and the whole extended family as they uh, try to minister to her in this time. Give them strength. Lord, help us to be a strength to them. Father, we pray these things to you because we know that you are intimately involved in every detail of every life and that you care for us. So we're casting our cares on you because we know that you care for us. And then, Lord, having cast them on you, we pray we would just worship at your feet as you transform us from one stage of glory to another. And we long for the day when we will enter into the gates of the eternal state of the kingdom of the new heaven and the new earth. And you wipe away every tear. And you wipe away every sickness, every disease, every division. And they are banished from your kingdom. And we we are able to see your glorious light. And have fellowship with you and with the saints forevermore. 
We long for that day. And we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, this morning I want to... um, I want to bring a sermon entitled, Identity. Christ is all and in all. And um, as you're turning there, let me introduce some things. First of all, the the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are filled with commands from Jesus to his followers that they follow me. That's what he said, follow me. We're familiar with that phrase. If you're familiar at all with the Bible... That phrase is familiar to you. It's the most common way that Jesus, during his time on the earth, talked to his disciples about what it meant to be committed to him and committed to his mission. And it makes perfect sense when we consider the fact that Jesus was physically on the earth with them at that time. Right? That makes sense. When he walked up on the seashore and and Peter and James and John are there mending their nets. What other command would he give them? (laughs) But follow me. Like literally, physically, leave the nets, leave the boats, leave your dad and walk after me. That makes sense to us. And that became like uh, the words for him to call people into his relationship with him, be his disciple and then get on mission. This makes sense. Some of the commands were literal commands that people get up and actually walk behind him. And some of them were spiritual commands or a spiritual picture that they were to follow him in their life. Lay down your life and take up your cross. This is not as simple as follow me, right? But it's the same thing. Lay down your life and follow me. How? Take up your cross. That's what he calls them to, spiritually, to do every day. And so the idea of following Christ was important and it's exemplified in this way in the first four books of the New Testament. Then we go to Acts and to the epistles after that. And what we see is a clear shift away from this type of language. You don't find in the epistles' commands to follow Jesus. There's a place or two. One prominent one comes to mind, right? And 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But even there, he's saying, follow me. (laughs) He doesn't say, follow Christ. He says, follow me, and I'm following Christ. He had physically seen Christ. He had been with Christ at the beginning of his call. But the language changes in the epistles. I'm not saying that to say that the phrase is wrong. I think I and we overuse that language I I think we do, we say a lot, like, follow Jesus and follow Jesus and follow Jesus. And we need to be careful because that's not the way uh, the epistles speak. But I'm not trying to correct that as much as I want us to think about what takes the place of follow me. What phrases do we start to see in the Bible? Well, what replaces that phrase in the epistles is the in him. Paul especially is fond of this theological truth. He writes in Romans 6, 1 through 5, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been 
baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into His death. We are buried, therefore, with Him. You see, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Notice that the unity in Christ leads to what? That leads to following Christ, walking in Christ in a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. There are many places we could go. Passages that are similar to this in emphasis scattered throughout the epistles, not only in the Apostle Paul, but in other places. The idea of unity is stressed when the Bible says we are grafted into the vine, John 15, or into the olive tree in Romans chapter 11. We are being built up into a temple for God, lively stones being connected by the Holy Spirit into the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Again, unity in Him. A spiritual house held together by Jesus. We are a body that is united to our head, which is Jesus. Well, one of the most beautiful expressions of this idea of unity in Christ and the unity we share with Christ and with one another in Christ is Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, where Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then what? By grace you've been saved and raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. The unity we have with Christ and with one another in the New Testament is stressed with these passages. So that in the coming ages, why did he do it? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. God is never going to directly bless you. God the Father is never going to directly bless you. How does he bless us? In Christ. Christ receives the inheritance from God. And then what does Christ do? He gives it to us. Christ has created the new heaven and the new earth. And what does Paul say in Romans 4? The whole world now belongs to you. It's only in Christ. It's only in Christ. This immeasurable greatness that's shown to us in the union we have with Christ. These union passages with Christ. These passages that we were raised with Him, seated with Him. One day we will receive the great riches of immeasurable grace. The, the, the parallel passage to Ephesians 2, 4-7 through 7 is our passage today. It's, expanded here for us. Listen to the words of Colossians 3. I had you turn there. Look at it. Verses 1 through 17. If then, Paul says, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We might call that the second Imago Day, right? So we had the created Imago Day, which was corrupted in Adam. And when we're joined to our head, Christ, when we're brought into union with Christ, we get a new image of God in the new life. Greater than what we could have had in Adam. That's another sermon. I don't want to get us distracted, but it's powerful, isn't it? To think about our identity is to think about the image of Christ. Not just our creator Christ, but our savior, our redeemer. (laughs) Here is not. Now, based on that, the image idea, what does he say? Here is not Greek or Jew. Circumcised, uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You don't find perfect harmony in a product, even a cold cola. You don't find it there. You find it in Christ. And let the peace, the shalom of Christ rule in your heart to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. The world, and especially the nation in which we live today, is deeply divided. I know that's a news point, like a bulletin, flashing, breaking news. People are divided. (laughs) This division is over so many things from health care to politics to ethnic identity. It seems that every time we turn on the news and get a report or scroll social media, That the problem keeps growing worse. We've lost in our nation a fabric of unity. We've lost what it means, really, to be a citizen of the United States of America. We've lost that. And I, I think that's one of our biggest problems as a nation. It seems that we're destined to continue to break down into little tribal entities that would hold dear, that we hold dear. And that each of those tribes would seek to have superiority and power over the other tribes. They'd even be willing as little tribes to coalesce together around something. I'm not sure what it is always. It kind of seems to move around, right? But they seem to want to gravitate to each other for the sole purpose of having power. That's really what it is. When you get into a society which we're fast becoming where there is no Majority, there are, the majority of the people are from lots of different backgrounds. 
especially ethnically. When you get into that world, we've been a majority white culture, in other words, and the minority is becoming the majority. Not one minority, but all the minorities are becoming the majority. When you get into that world, divisions and political breaks and all of that become more accentuated. They're not new. They've been there, but as long as there was one prevalent ethnic group, that ethnic group held sway. They won political elections. They had power. Now it's being shifted. I think anyone can see that. These days are difficult. These are dark days in our nation, not just because of this one issue, but the many issues I mentioned. Economic separation from high class to lower class, educational separation from really highly educated down to barely educated. Everywhere we look, how we view each and every topic gets run through this grid of what essentially comes down to we have no commonality. We have no, nothing to bind us together any longer. These days are difficult for our nation, and it seems that it will grow more difficult and more dark as we continue into the future. Our sin and brokenness keeps us from being able to see one another as fellow image bearers with dignity and respect. The more locked into the digital world we become, the more it seems we only see our fellow man as a keystroke or an avatar on a screen which we can devour and attack without any thought of the destruction that we're causing. Uh, that might be summed up in a country boy way of saying, you wouldn't talk to me like that if you weren't on the other side of a computer screen with a keyboard. Right? Everybody talks tough as long as there's hundreds of miles or 50 miles separating with a keyboard and they don't really know who I am because i got a fake profile picture. Everybody can talk tough in that world. Right? But the reality is it's only causing more destruction, each of those things. This Deep division calls out for a solution. But this division in tribalism is not new. Since the Garden of Eden, sin has driven us away from unity and deeper into division along tribal lines. You say, what tribal lines? They're right there in the first, I mean, brothers became tribes in Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, you could say the tribe of Cain sought to rule over the tribe of his brother Abel. And he did, he killed him. And then he was driven off into the far country, and he grew and populous. Like he was having kids and getting married. And then he goes to war, and his people go to war against the tribes of his other brother, Seth. That's found in 5 and 6 in Genesis. Looking through the Old Testament, we find the world in war between one tribe and another. Many times the war centers on ethnic divisions. My way's better than your way. In the New Testament, the world's no less divided between different groups of people. Jews and Gentiles are very divided, but even within the Jews. To take it away from simply difference of nation, even the Jews are divided. How are they divided? How to interpret the law? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, everybody's divided within the Jewish camp. Do we take it literally? Do we take it spiritually? Do we have a middle ground somewhere? Or... Even in their day, they were divided with zealots and those who wanted to just submit to Rome out of submission to God. And there was all these divisions within their one group. Division is not new. I know the world wants you to believe that, young people, that your generation is the first one that's ever faced such deep division. That's a lie. Every generation has faced it. 
every group of people have faced it. This is not a United States problem. This is a people problem. It's a sin problem. And it begs for a solution. We're prone to divide. View those not like us or less like us, less valuable than us. And then to attack others when they don't fit into our identity, what we think is best. This is the result of a fallen condition. And this is only solved by a great Savior. His name is Jesus. If you came looking for a a rally speech about some modern topic, you're going to be sorely disappointed. This isn't a call to action around some slogan. On the right, on the left, or in the middle. This is a call to action on the Word of God. For the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's where it should always be. Grace Fellowship, today I want to call us out of the divisive tribalism all around us and into true identity in Christ. If we find our ultimate identity in Christ, then we will seek unity with people from every tribe, tongue, and people group in Christ because that exalts his name above all the tribal gods of this earth. The problem in our world today is we got a lot of different groups of people worshiping a lot of different gods, little g. Some of us are tempted to get in there and fight with them, like on their side and against other people around the little g. And what I want to call us to is to put the little g away. And as the woke NIV said, uh, the new translation that thank God they took away, the big g becomes bigger. The big God becomes bigger when the tribal gods are put away. Let's look at this passage. First, we are united with Christ so that our life is completely hidden within him. If then, this is an if then statement. This is a statement to say what really is true. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, then... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul uses this if-then statement in the first verse. It's not to say it might be true. It could be true. He's saying it is true. He's emphasizing the truth. You have been raised with Christ, so you must set your mind on the things that are above. That would be another way to say what he's saying. We've been raised with Christ, so we seek things that are above where Christ is seated with God. Our unity with Christ causes us to change our focus from this world and the problems of this world and and even the good things of this world. It changes our focus. Our unity with Christ changes us from this world to heaven where Christ is. I know it's popular to say that if you become too heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. That's a lie from Satan. That's a lie. Don't ever repeat that again. Please do not tell your kids that. Because I can tell you how they interpret it. Oh, so go be as bad as I can be. (laughs) Think about the things in this world, not the things in Christ. 
Paul says the opposite. God says the opposite. Set your mind on me. Set your mind on Christ. Set your mind on God. Christ at his right hand. That's where your mind needs to be focused. And if it is, then the cares of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You want to know why you spend so much time in anxiety about the things in this world? Because you spend too little time focused on Christ. So verse 2 says, we are to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. The truth is, so many of us are spending so many of our days and so much of our day focused on our favorite news channel, our social media feed, whatever the new things are. I'm lost at Facebook, but I mean, I don't even know how to use that anymore. But I mean, you know, whatever it is, I don't know, Snapchat, whatever the new thing is. Y'all, we spend way too much time focused on all of that stuff. And it's the older folks saying, get them, like, Tell these young people to get off that social media. It's a bad thing. But yet your TV's blaring CNN and Fox News all the time. There's just as much phoniness on that as it is on the social media. We're all being manipulated by this world and this world's philosophies. Or some of us are elite. We don't watch cable news and we don't get on social media. We listen to podcasts. And what we should be focused on is the Word of God. If I'd spend more time in this book and knowing the Christ seated at the right hand of God, those podcasts, news channels, and social media feeds would mean little to me. You say, well, I can't do that because then I won't know what's going on. That's okay. Don't know what's going on. Every conversation that starts on politics can end in Jesus. Every one of them, every economic conversation, every one of them can be turned to the economy of Christ and his kingdom. Every single conversation about divisions between races, ethnic groups, can be brought back to the one who brings those people together in himself. But we can't have that conversation and we can't turn that conversation because we are standing in their mess Trying to sound smart and tell them right ideas instead of just saying, Jesus Christ rules supreme and preeminent over all of it. You say, well, then my friend won't talk to me. Then, there, then that'll be the result. Christ, Paul said, I have no desire to win the argument over the things that we face with rhetoric and smart-sounding talk. I've died to all of that. The only thing I want to preach to them is Christ and what? Him crucified, the Savior, who's preeminent over all of it. That's what Paul's calling us to. If then you have been raised with Christ, then set your mind on the things where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Or is, and Ephesians, remember the parallel passage, Ephesians 2, verse 6 says, you're seated there with him. You're there with him. Why would you want to think about these things? That he's that where he is. We should not be surprised that we are finding ourselves more and more divided from, among, from those around us when we're focused on the divisive philosophies of our day. And that goes for those outside the church 
and it goes from being divided among the church. That's the saddest thing to me. We expect the world to be divided. The world's always been divided since the garden and sin. But why is it that the church now is so deeply divided? Because what we've done, if we'll just step back and own our sin, we've looked to the things of this world to solve problems for us that only Jesus can solve. We don't need to be woke or unwoke. We need to be biblical. If that puts us out of step with all the people of this world, guess what? That's the pilgrim's life we've been called to. They ought to look at us as foreigners and aliens and strangers. But the people in the church ought not look at us as foreigners and strangers. And we ought not look at one another that way. Paul says, "Put." guess what we will have? Unity in Christ. Because we'll be in the same place. Finally, in this first section, Paul says that we have died with Christ, we've been hidden with Christ, and we will appear with Christ. Look at that beautiful progression. Our justification, our sanctification, in a sense, and our glorification. It's all right here in this passage, isn't it? I have been saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. I have been saved, I've been raised with Christ. That's our salvation, that's justification. We're right with God. We've been raised a new life. I'm seated with Christ. That's my position right now as I'm being changed and transformed. Sanctification is not my work that God blesses. It's God's work in me for his glory and I carry it out. I'm just a vessel. That's all I am. Self-help theology is bogus. Any preacher that you're listening to right now telling you to be a better version of yourself is nothing more than a new age liar. You don't need to be a better version of yourself. You're justified in Christ, and now you need to live like your mind is set on Christ. Therefore, His work will be done through you. And when that happens, when the day comes, Christ will appear, and when He appears, we will appear with Him. That's the beatific vision of the Bible. He will look at us, and we will look like Him, and we will look at Him, and in Him we will see our true self. And that's the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. So that's what Paul means when he says, from one stage of glory to another we are being transformed. That's beautiful, isn't it? And if we all get there with Christ together in the Spirit, guess what we will have inside of Grace Fellowship? Unity. Harmony. That's why it's important we start in this chapter in the first paragraph. Second, we will put to death the earthly sinful things that are in us because we are joined with Christ. Verses 5 through 11 tell us that we will put to death the things that are of the old life because the old life died in Christ and therefore we have a new life. Look at the list that he lists. First of all, in verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 8, put away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So these lists, we look at them and we can see them, and we would recognize them as old man, new man type patterns. And that, again, flows this companion passage in Ephesians 4 to this passage. Paul stresses it in a lot of places, but... One division or one thing that we must put off 
that we don't typically see because it's not in this list, but it's in this passage, and, it, and it, this week it really resonated with me. One thing, after we see what we're to put off, notice Paul says in verse 11, what he says in verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. So our unity with Christ is our identity. Christ is in all and, I mean, Christ is all and in all. Our identity is in Christ. Not in the earthly identities that we find. He covers several of them here. Uh, he covers language barrier. Barbarian, that's a language barrier. They get that name barbarian from the, the roughness of their speech. They sound like they got, they're from the south. They got rocks in their mouth. They're trying to talk. And the civilized Jews and Greeks looked at them and thought, what uneducated rubes from the country. Who wants anything to do with those people? But they were part of the church at Colossae. Scythians. Godless. Rapers, pillagers, murderers. There were Scythians now sitting in the pews, quote unquote, of the church of Colossae. Greeks and Jews. The, we might call the original division in the New Testament church. Dating all the way back to the tables that the apostles had to get somebody to oversee because they were showing favoritism. Free and slave. Economic divisions. The very bottom and the top. They're all at church. They're all doing life together. Why? Because their identity is not in the things of this world, but in Christ. And they found they have more in common with anyone from any of those groups than they do with their own group. Don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. More importantly, what Paul's trying to say. He's not saying that these groups don't exist anymore. They do exist. I, I try, when I look at the passages like this, I try to think about what must the New Testament church in these places have looked like. I mean, just from the list that Paul's put out here, the Greeks would have dressed a certain way, and they would have had a certain hue of skin. The Jews would have dressed another way and had a different hue of skin, color. They would have eaten different foods, talked different languages, Though they had a common language, the Greek language, they, they had that, but their native tongues were completely different. There would have been people from position and, and, and wealth, and there would have been people at the very bottom of the socioeconomic class sitting out in front of the pastor as he brought the Word of God. There would have been people who were servants in houses and their master sitting together. And we think we have divisions. <laughs> These people had divisions. Big time divisions. And so when we see this passage, I think it's easy to not see that. What? The preference for people like me as one of the things we have to put off. The preference for loving people like me. you got to put that off if you're going to be a part of God's church. You can't put off your Greekness 
But you can put off loving Greeks more than everybody else. You can't stop being a barbarian because you're always going to be a country uneducated bumpkin. But you cannot, you can in the power and identity of Christ not believe that's better than the other groups. You cannot remove the fact that you are a slave. You don't have the power to do that. But what you can do is look at the freedmen as your brothers. And the freedmen can look at the slaves and say, those are my brothers and sisters. And no discrimination, no thought that I'm better than enters the mind because our minds are seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's not a call that to say there's no more division and no, a division of a worldly sense. It's a call that there's something greater than that division, and his name is Jesus. And because of him and his glory, we will obliterate these separations. James would say, if you look at someone's outer clothing and give them the finest seat in the house, you've sinned. But rather, you should look to all and treat them all the same. We are now united in Christ. So barriers are destroyed and we truly are more alike with our fellow Christians from all backgrounds than we are from the people in our own tribes. The unity the world wants is already purchased. The unity the world wants is purchased in Christ and in Him alone. And it's the reality of the church of Christ and the church of Christ alone. The only place we will ever find unity and brotherhood across all of these divisions is in the church. True brotherhood is not possible outside of the church. I'm not saying it's not an ethic we should strive for out there, but we need to realize it won't ever happen out there. Not really, not truly, not forever, but it will and it has happened because our Savior has torn down the walls of separation and brought us near to himself and one another in the blood of Christ. If you think of it as Christ on the cross tearing down the barriers of separation, he's here, and I'm over here, and my brother's over here. As we go to Christ, we get closer together. We think more alike. We see the world more the same. You can't go this way. All of this is brokered peace deals between warring parties that will eventually break out again. You can't go this way, young Christian, trying to fight the war that I'm talking about out there through the political schemes and things that are around us and the offers of all these great philosophical plans for bringing us together. You're try- you can't do this. You have to do that. You know what's true about people that are going this way towards Christ and people that are here in my tribe and in my family that are not going to Christ? We're growing apart. And we grieve it. We weep over it. We see the division and it breaks our heart. And what do we do from this position? Not act superior. No, never. We look at that person separated from Christ and call them to Jesus. Because as separated as you may be in your marriage, as separated as you may be from your best friend, as separated as you may be from those who you work with, When they come to Christ, guess what will happen? 
you'll start to grow closer to one another because your focus is him. And I want to say and go on record as saying a lot of leaders in the church on all sides are, I think, from my position, sadly mistaken because they want to adopt either argument from the world and make it the right argument, and they're crushing one another. When we would just deny all that and hold on to the word and grow in Christ, we would come together. Finally, we will put to death. I mean, excuse me, we will put on the new life we have in Christ so that everything brings glory to his great name. The last of the passage, 12 through 17, is a call to unity in Christ. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, we become compassionate in heart, kind, humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving one another. Not going on the internet and blasting. Not gossiping and ripping the body apart. But going to the brother or sister and saying, you hurt me when you did this, but I love you. Will you forgive me? And can I forgive you? And we walk in Christ together? And our answer should always be, absolutely. Well, how many times do I have to do that? Infinitely. Infinitely. Why? Because Christ's forgiveness for us is infinite. And so we extend it to others. Loving one another because that love of Christ, that love of Christ and his love in us will bind us together in harmony. This is not some emotionalism that's being spoken of. It's the, it's the, it's the absolute tangible love of Jesus that's being spoken of here. Love brings harmony because this is the type of love that comes from and through and for Christ. And so it binds us together. And we find peace in our hearts because we're called to be in this one body together and to be thankful. And so we encourage one another and teach one another and admonish one another and sing to one another with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And whatever we do in word or deed, we do it for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God through him. Even our thanksgiving comes through Jesus. <laughs> I'm not capable of doing anything in my flesh. It's all coming from him and through him and for him. To him be all glory forever in his church. That's what we're called to, church. Now I want to quickly apply some things here. Real quick, bear with me. Listen to these words and see that we don't all agree on this. First of all, Grace Fellowship will hold to our belief. That the word of God is the only basis of authority for us. Because it's perfect, infallible, and inerrant. It is the word of God. For us to use any other theories derived from the world and its philosophy is unnecessary and foolish. Any theory. Put alongside even secondarily to the Bible. It's foolish. It's not necessary. Grace Fellowship will continue to teach the man, that man is totally depraved in every part of our being. We're unable to please God in ourselves or our actions without the work of Christ on our behalf. Part of our rebellion 
against God is that we all have deep-rooted prejudices in our hearts. All of us do. This may take many forms, but one that is prevalent in, in us is, is the prejudice over ethnicity and ethnic identity. Many refer to this as racism, but the more biblical idea would be the belief that our ethnic group is better than other ethnic groups. While we all suffer from this to different degree, Grace Fellowship collectively renounces ethnic pride and the belief that any culture in this world is more superior than another. Grace Fellowship believes that there is only one hope of salvation from sin and the wrath of God that is coming against those in sin. The hope of our salvation is in Christ alone. That's it. Christ is not saving only one ethnic group. Praise God, because that would have been the Jews. We'd all went to hell, every one of us. He didn't come to save one ethnic group, but a diverse number of people from every ethnic group, every tribe, every tongue. So now Christ is the head of the body and the identity of the multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomic body. Grace Fellowship will seek to listen to the pain of other people. Seek to see the world through our brother's experience in any of these areas. And by doing this, encourage one another to live in our hope, which is our identity in Christ. So I want to listen, and I want to try to see the world from their background and perspective, but then at the end, we both want to collectively go to Jesus and to our heavenly position. Because all of this is our desire, we will live as if all people are image bearers and therefore worthy of dignity. We will live with the confidence that there is only one human race which is found in our real genetic link to Adam. There's not multiple races. That's a new philosophy in terms of the world's standing and understanding, but the Bible's never taught that. We all go back to Adam, every single one of us. But listen to this. Likewise, there is one new race, and this is our spiritual link to Jesus Christ. All other divisions along ethnicity, language, culture, and our other differences are intended by God to be made harmonious and beautiful to the glory of Jesus. In other words, God isn't calling you to be colorblind. He's not calling you to not know who you are and where you come from. He's saying lay that down at Jesus' feet with all the other brothers and sisters and look at the beautiful thing that's created in his image. That's what this is. It's an attempt by Christian, through talking with us, to picture what I'm telling you right now. You see it? The hand of Christ lifted up, pierced for us, shedding forth the light which turns into all the hues of the rainbow. Every bit of it is ours in Christ, and it all belongs to him for his glory. We live without preference or discrimination because Christ has called us to love one another. We recognize that racism is a universal sin among all humans. Therefore, we want to search our heart and the hearts of those in our fellowship to make certain that every hint of this sin is repented of and brought under submission to Christ. 
we will listen to one another in the spirit of love because we recognize that Christ is all and in all. Our hope is that as we continue to grow in our understanding of our identity in Christ, our community will grow in diversity of all kinds, and this will be a more beautiful grace fellowship because it will look like the kingdom of our Lord and not like the kingdom of this world. As we grow in our understanding and our reality of our identity in Christ, and we do that together, God will join to us people from all kinds of backgrounds in all of these areas. And when he does that, and we stand and sing the doxology after communion, joining hands, we will look like the kingdom of our Father, not like the kingdom of this world. And the love that we have for one another will cause the world to say, these people are strange, and I want to know who they is they worship. You won't ever get that response by arguing the latest points on Fox News or CNN. Where does this vision come from? Well, it comes from God's Word. Revelation 7, verse 13 says, no, excuse me, verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, ethnic group, from all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these? clothed in white robes, and from whom, from where did they come? And I said to them, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits in the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I have a flock that's not of this flock. And I'm going to bring that flock. And these two flocks are going to be one flock with one shepherd. The vision of John 10 realized. Quickly listen to these words. After this I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For this judgment and are true, his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! This smoke... From her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice. From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. 
And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And I fell down at his feet and worshiped. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brother, who hold, and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Grace Fellowship, the call from the Bible is much greater than any call this world can offer you. The call is to come out of your tribes, to come out of your identities in this world, come out of your ethnicity, come out of your pride of place because you're rich or you're educated or you're poor and you're uneducated, wherever your pride lies. Come out of that, lay it at the feet of Jesus, and be joined to the Lamb. Those who do that, by the power of God, are invited to the marriage supper. And they shall eat with him forever. Let's pray. Father, as we close this time in your word, we look to you, our Savior. We ask that you would join us together in you. Join us to yourself deeper and deeper so that our identity is in nothing else. And then because we're in you, we're all being joined in you in this way. Now, God, we are truly loving one another. And we're a force on mission in this world, looking for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's in his name we pray. Amen.